0: for joining me today, everybody. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your willingness to speak about the situation that's going on in long-term care in Ontario right now. Um, And I'm joined today actually by a wonderful group of folks. Um, The first with us is actually the executive of the OARC, uh, Dee. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Andrew. Thank you very much. I'm I'm, uh, happy to be here to share some of the poignant uh, messages around what's happening in long-term care as we work through uh, the COVID-19 pandemic together.
0: Awesome. I'm also joined by uh, Sharon. Uh, Sharon, would you mind telling us a little bit about your role with the OARC and um, a bit about the home that you're at right now?
1: Okay, I'm Sharon Cook. I am president of OARC and also resident leader at Newmarket House and Care. Um My role with the resident council is to advocate on behalf of the residents uh, when we deal with the ministry or... Any teachings or anything we do with courses, uh, um, just to get the word out and express how the lived experience in long term care. And that's my role with OERC uh, within the home, which is within the residence in our home.
0: Awesome. And uh, I'm also joined by Barry. And could you tell us a little bit about your role and, and position, Barry?
2: Certainly. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, my name is Barry. I am a, on the board of directors for the Ontario Association of Residents Council, (OARC), And in my home in Windsor, Ontario, uh, we presently are virus-free, and I'm doing well this time.
0: Awesome. I'm glad to hear that you guys are still virus-free. Uh, finally, we're also with uh, Devorah. How are you doing today, Devorah? Would you be able to tell us a bit about your role?
1: Yes. Um, I am on the leadership team. Of Residence council in my home, and we advocate for people who can't speak for themselves. Um, I am also treasurer of the Ontario Association of Residents Council, and I do the finances with the help of my pal Julie.
0: Awesome, that's a very important role. Uh, definitely need to know where the money is going.
1: <laughs> yes, and I live. I <laughs> and I live at Baby Extend Care in Toronto. And we are full of the COVID virus.
0: Right. Now, I know Barry had said that he's not got any uh, cases at his home currently, but um, Sharon and Devorah, what is the situation there in terms of infection counts and, and how are things looking?
1: In my home in Newmarket, we're COVID, and they have uh, the stipulations right from day one, and it's kept us safe. Uh, that is one good thing. Um, although the residents I find, uh, it's depressing, you're in your room on your own. They haven't separated in one person per room, no matter where in the home, to try and keep you uh, clear from anybody coming in with the virus. So we have no visitors. Uh, we're not allowed any uh, things brought into the home, until um, so the COVID is free. Uh, of course, there's lots of activities. Um, they are starting to do some one-to-one, uh, which I'm pleased to see, because every resident needs some type of interaction going on.
0: Awesome. I know uh, definitely activities are an important question that I'd love to, to kind of ask all of you guys uh, near the end. Um, when it comes yeah, to... I
1: do a little bit my, yeah, I do a little bit myself on, on putting out bullets and saying, we're COVID-free, and thank you to the staff. And... Announce birthdays for the mass and try to do a coloring contest or some type of thing, just to uh, get that interaction uh, and something for them to read in that. And we do FaceTime as well, so that helps go around and do a little bit of FaceTime with the ones that don't have computers or phones. We just FaceTime.
0: Awesome. Um, and sorry, just to kind of round it out, uh, Devorah, what's uh, what's the situation with COVID at uh, at your home currently?
1: Well, unfortunately, I can't say we're COVID-free. We just had the virus in the home from probably close to day one. And we've been struggling with trying to keep people from getting it. But unfortunately, it spreads like wildfire. And uh, right now, we have a unit. This home, everything's on one floor. So... They have the home divided into units and right now there is a specific unit within the home that has the virus. The rest of us who are virus free have been cohorted into another unit. So that means we're moved out of our room. Um, It's difficult because you're in a strange room. Um, you have none of your things that you can access. You were. I was told I could. The, the same warning. I was told I was moving that after lunch, and I had to get everything organized for the move because there was no way I could go back to my room for anything. So like I had to remember that I had to take all my wash stuff and my shampoo and and I, underwear and some tops and some slacks, and it was nice and warm when I moved. Now it's cold, and I don't have any heavy sweaters, and I have them in my room, but I can't get it's, up. Um, it's very frustrating, and I'm in a small area all by myself. I have been like that since the middle of March, since the virus broke out in the home. And I've been by myself, Um, the staff comes in. They don't have time to really talk to us or spend time with us because they have so many other people to look after. So they kind of just come in and say, here's your breakfast, here's your lunch, Um, here's your dinner, Um, I'll change your hot water, Um, you need anything. And that's about it. That's no no human interaction, which is very difficult. It's like if, especially if you're a people person. I mean, I'm going absolutely crazy at this point. I think today is the day that everything got for me, and I feel hemmed in. Um, I have to eat my meals in my room. The meals come in in cardboard containers with plastic cutlery. I don't have a TV, thank goodness for a radio and a computer. But it's like it you get so depressed because you wake up in the morning and there's basically nothing to do. However, I had a chat with the program director yesterday and all the residents within the home are being, making sure that all the residents in the home are... Contact, being in contact with their families and their loved ones. They have set up special phone lines for families to call in and special phone lines for residents to call out for those who don't have telephones in their rooms. They're also using tablets, and the activity staff is going around doing that. They also have the same as in Sharon's phone coloring books. Coloring shoes, uh, word, word search, software puzzles. As a matter of fact, I love software puzzles. And so, and I'm having trouble with my eyes. So, the program manager sent me a large print software puzzle, which I'm enjoying doing. Uh, but really, going back to getting up in the morning, there's basically nothing to do. And I, some mornings, I hate to get out of bed because I know that I'm just. Going to do absolutely
0: nothing. Yeah, that, and um,
1: I find it very depressing.
0: That loneliness and isolation I think is something that is tough for those of us to outside of the situation to really grasp. I know like it's everyone is currently isolated. I feel pretty trapped in my own home, but not to that to the degree that's got yeah. going on there. Um, what about for you, Barry? I know there's no oh, cases but, there, but is your life situation similar for the people at your home?
2: I would say very similar. Uh, In respect to our dining experience, we expanded the dining rooms to enter into what we call the family room. So we've got the dining room, family room areas. So we do practice the distancing principle, and uh, that experience has been good. We have not yet moved into dining in our own rooms yet. Um, What else have we done? There's also... As far as recreation, there's not a lot of activity. We do have some. It's, uh, again, in recognition of the distancing issue, we do the best that we can. It's very difficult. It is strained. It's, um, it's tormenting at times. And I do understand the board situation where there are so many restrictions. And I'm glad to say that in my home, I'm allowed to wander on my neighbor's more, but that's the extent of my getting out.
1: Yeah, it's it's very it's Sharon here. It's very difficult, Andrew. When it's it, when you're isolated to your house, you can still go around and go outside on the porch or go for a walk. Uh, residents can't go past their doorway, so they're they're stuck right in their room. Yeah. You can't go from room to room so that if you, you know, you get tired of sitting in the living room on the sofa, you can walk into the kitchen. Exactly. And that's another thing. You guys can go and get a snack whenever you want. We can't do that. We have to wait till the snack cart comes around, which is like once in the afternoon and once in the evening.
0: Wow. Is that a similar thing going on in your your uh, home, Sharon? Are you also stuck in, in your room? Only?
1: Yeah. Like you cannot. You can oh very lonely, very lonely, and I do worry about the other residents. I have my computer, I have my telephone, so I can call my daughter or uh, so we I can do things like this. And I have what we call Barry and I do a program called Resident Forum, where we talk. It's um, like Zoom. Uh, we talk to other residents across Ontario to know that we're there to support them and support each other. But most residents, all they have is themselves. Um, I spent my birthday, we were isolated before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So I haven't even been able to go to my office since before Christmas, uh, to do anything for the residents. I'm trying to use one of my drawers to store a few things so I can try and get a little bit of materials or whatever. But it's difficult, you can't you can't be there for the residents, and then that kills you, that you can't support yes. your other fellow residents. Yes. And uh, you have to kind of keep everything inside. Um, I just found out another rule yesterday um, because I have to have a ventilator mask. Uh, they say, did you do your mask? I can't come in for two hours. And I thought, oh, this when? Because I've done it for over 20 years. But this is another ruling that they can't come in if I'm using a ventilator, and I thought that's strange. But it's something I have to deal with. I have to wait until I know there's not a two-hour period they're not going to come in, so I can do mine now. And and people, you know, they just come to your door, ask you your questions or whatever, and it's difficult. It's very difficult. (laughs) I'd like well, when they on. come in, when, when they come into, it's when they come into the, the room, they have to put gowns on. You have to put gowns on. Yeah, well, they wear masks and shields and, and head coverings when they, when they're in the hall or when they're at the door and, you know, they'll hand you something. I go to the door to g- pick it up, but, If they come inside, they have to put the gown on as well, and then when they're finished, they have to take it and put it in um in a container. And periodically, they take the containers out. Oh, sure. And we also have this. Sorry, (laughs) sorry. That's all good. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: I was just wondering, you know, with these changes in um, precautions and guidelines that everyone is going through, like this new one with the masks. Do you think that it's actually helping? Do you feel like it's keeping you safer uh, than it would be if they were to just kind of continue with sort of the cohorting or any other procedures? Do you find that it's helping? No, directed towards I,
1: I believe it's helping. Oh, oh yeah. sorry. Oh, sorry. sorry, I didn't hear you. It does help. I mean, if they didn't do that, uh, whatever germs they may have or get from where when they go home are going to be passed to the residents. That's protecting the residents as well, right?
2: Right, Andrew.
1: I, I just want to
2: inter- interject for a moment, if I may. Okay. I want to reemphasize the, the situation regarding isolation. Um, it is a terrible, a horrifying experience to go through. And when you reach your senior years, and being told you cannot talk with your family today, you may not talk yeah. to tomorrow. You may not see your family today because you're in isolation. It's very, very painful. And I feel so moved by those who are, are caught in that trap. Also, I wanted to mention very quickly about the, the team members, the staff that are working within the homes. Number one, that there's a tremendous, a horrifying shortage of help. We need P.S.W.s, personal support workers, assistants of any kind, volunteers, if you're allowed to go in. But these are these are some of the issues that we're dealing with as well. The absence of contact, the absence of activity, and the the isolation is a torment in itself. And those are all difficulties we deal with. The shooting to staff on top of that, it is painful. Yeah.
1: Well, can I speak to the shortage of staff, please? For sure. Um, I, spoke, I spoke to the dietary manager, and she can't get anybody to come and work in the kitchen because of the virus. They won't come into the home because of the COVID virus. And she lost a lot of staff who quit because they, they were afraid, so they just left. But the staff that we have working here are phenomenal. They are great people. And really, they need to be commended. Because they really are on the front line. And when they go home, they have to take their clothes off, have a shower, and wash their clothes right away. So they have to do that as well when they go home.
0: When it comes to the staff, I know, like... We had spoken last time just about how crazy uh, the situation had come to where the social interaction you used to be able to have with a PSW is now much diminished because they're so covered in all this different equipment and this you know PPE that they're wearing. And then because of these shortages, they're just kind of in and out of your room. Do you feel, Devorah, like you have any chance to talk to the staff when they are helping you out or when they are interacting with you on the daily? Has that changed and gotten any better?
1: Um, sometimes at night when the, uh, the nurse, Comes in because I don't go to bed that early. So she comes in just before her shift ends. So she'll have a little chat with me and we have a little joking session. But during the day, no, they don't have time. They really don't have time. Yeah. Hi, it's Sharon here. I think the relationship of residents and staff has changed through yeah. whole because yeah. they're both scared on both sides. And really, I don't know if they, they, they feel they can deal with it, but they, there's a lot of doubt in their minds because they don't want to take it home to their families. And residents don't want to. Uh, they worry about the staff. They're they're tired. They're burnt out, and it, it's very difficult both both ways. And I commend the staff that do work here. And I know a couple of staff that we lost went to another home that one of the other homes they worked at, and. They're covered in COVID, like everywhere. And yeah. they were sorry that they left here to go there, but you don't know this is the choices that you make. Um, but it, it's a horrible situation. And yeah. it's nobody's fault, not the ministry, it's not the staff, it's not the homes. It's a horrible tragedy that is very difficult and very uh, heart-wrenching to deal with. You know Sharon you're telling their story it's hard. Yeah. You know yeah. you were saying that they 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 go from they went from one home to another. Well, we have a PSW who worked here who went to another home and unfortunately she got the virus and she died. Wow. It's hard. Yeah. It's very difficult. Yeah. It's it's so heartbreaking. You know people die that you know and it's like it hurts it really does and, and you can't do anything about it you can't even speak to the families and convey your condolences
0: yeah I mean that's definitely a challenging part about this whole situation is the torment of not only the isolation yeah. but then also the people that you love getting sick or even dying um, and, and yeah particularly the your, yeah. your case Barry because I think you brought up the point of how hard it is uh, specifically mentally has there been any focus in, in your home uh, with improving the health mentally and emotionally of the residents
2: let let me respond to that by saying two things number one uh, we do have a chaplain who is on site he um he works regular weekly hours and we, he is involved directly with visiting on each neighborhood we have three floors um in our home and he visits them. He holds holds a simple chapel service. He's also made himself totally available for counseling, for families, for team members, and residents. So I'm, I'm blessed, I guess, in a way that he's here. Also, uh, myself, because of my background and, and experience, I also have opportunity to visit in to cases. Um, I, I've got three people right now that are in palliative care, and not because of the virus, but they also need a warm hand and a, a gentle voice to be with them. So I take mm-hmm. advantage of those opportunities as well.
0: Do you have any sort of situation like that at your home, Sharon? Is there a chaplain or any sort of mental health practitioner that's trying to? No,
1: help we have no chaplain. We did have, but uh, they were in the process of looking for one. So there is no childhood here. But, but Barry's right. You know, when you come to this age and you're going through the tragedies that got you here, uh, I deal a lot with palliative care and that as well as um That's what you need. They go back. You go back. You need that spirituality to to get you through the journey. And I think uh, something like that in the home, I think would be amazing because it gives them that little bit, of support not only mentally but spiritually as well
0: so but there's no alternative at your home in lieu of that right now
1: no no
0: no and what about you devora is there any sort of I have a
1: social worker
0: there's a social worker sorry
1: yeah he, yes we do have a social worker that she always says just call me anytime but i mean she's dealing with 132 people um and it's very difficult She's trying to also do some of the other work around besides social work. Uh, She's doing a bit of FaceTime and things like that. So, you know, the pressures are on everybody, no matter
0: who. It's good that there's at least some some sort of support system. Um, You know, social work or some sort of therapy is is definitely important in my opinion. Um, Sorry, just in your situation, Devora, do you guys have any sort of mental health support going on at the home? I know especially that there are so many cases there.
1: No. No, we have a social worker, but um, I guess if I wanted to talk to her, she might be available. I'm not really sure because she she comes in and, like, she's brought me mail and she kind of stays at the door even though she's got a gown and stuff on. So uh, I don't know. But to say we have help for, for our mental health, or depression or anything. No, we don't have anything like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that's probably sorely lacking. Then um, now, in terms of being stuck in your room and having any sort of like physical exercise to care for the physical well-being of the residents, uh, is there anything being done to create programming around that or give you opportunities to be physically healthy, Devora? No.
1: no, I do my own exercises when I when I feel like it. I, I used to go three times a week. To do um, exercise, like to maintain my balance and my mobility. But I try to do some of the exercises, holding on to uh, uh, um, my walker. And uh, that's about all the exercise I get is what I do on my own. And I don't think anyone else gets exercises either.
0: Is that true, oh, Barry? Do you have that same experience where there's not really anything going on in terms of physical health?
2: I, I would say that that is very true in my case as well. That As far as any physical activity, it's it's non-existent at this time. That's all it can say. It's, it's not here. Yeah. It's in any home right now, really. Yeah. Also,
1: also too, Andrew and Sharon, um, the one thing is there's activation stuff around. But I think you'll agree with me. I would say there's so many residents. Uh, with dementia and other complexities that need extra, extra care. And it takes so much staffing for that, that the cognitives are are more left fast. And it's sad in a way, but being cognitive myself, I understand that it's so important to ensure that people that uh, do not have the same cognitive ability to ensure that they are protected and to try and have something for them. Uh, a lot of them on our dementia unit are a lot of one-to-one. So that takes a lot of staffing. And that's the activation extra PSWs. It takes a lot. So with us being cognitive and we're depressed, I can imagine the non-cognitive, like it's the unknown, right? They know there's something up, but they don't know what. Oh, it's gotta be very, very difficult. or so why do they have to stay in their rooms? And we have a lot of people like that. Why do I have to stay in my room? They're so good. Well, they try to keep them in their rooms, but they yeah, do start too here too long. As most of them are ambulatory unless they're very advanced.
0: Yeah. Now I know. Actually, last time we had spoken as well. Um, Dee, you had mentioned that there was some talk of trying to make it so that visitation or or special visitors could be made essential to try to support uh, people that were in homes. Is there anything...
1: Yeah, that's what they're doing. Um, Dee can speak more on that. Um, They are trying to do that. But home too. So last Friday, May 8th, um, OARC-led uh, or wrote a letter and submitted it, it was also signed by 10 other long-term care stakeholder organizations, really imploring the, the government to um, to acknowledge the essential nature of psychosocial and emotional well-being for residents. Um, it's been nine weeks of, of isolation without seeing family members and without even seeing each other as friends and colleagues. Um, yesterday, I had a, a conversation with the Ministry of Long-Term Care and the Ministry of Health together talking about what the future could look like, what the new normal could look like because the reality is that COVID-19 will be in our long-term care homes not for a matter of weeks or months, but for the long term. So what does a new normal look like? Uh, we talked about having uh, the term essential visitors, redefined to encompass people who would be declared essential for supporting the psychosocial and emotional well-being of residents. So we are in no way, no way at all advocating for the doors to be swung wide open for visitors to come in en masse. But what we are looking for is a small cluster of people, maybe it's five people, seven people, who would come in, be gowned in PPE and masks if appropriate or if needed, whose sole responsibility it would be every day to link residents with each other and residents with their families and the people they care for. So those discussions have taken place. We're looking at how, how it might be able to start because it's going to look different in a home that is in outbreak with COVID-19 versus a home that is COVID-free. But there are risks associated with it. But our point is that if we do nothing, if we sit on our laurels and do nothing in a matter of weeks and and then subsequently months, we will be left with a group of residents who have physically survived the disease, but whose spirits have been broken. And then we're dealing with supporting them through the, the devastating effects of of depression and loneliness and isolation so those conversations are happening now and we look forward to working with our ministry partners Uh, the same way the economy and the community and businesses will be opened up very slowly very cautiously very safely uh, we have to look through that lens for long-term care as well
0: that sounds very promising and like a very reasoned approach Um, sort of that same question, Dee, is there anything the general public can do with regards to this new program or in the current situation to try to help out to make sure that people get through both physically and emotionally strong?
1: Well, I think that the messaging from the general public to to our ministry would be very important, not in an adversarial manner, but in, a, in an empathetic understanding manner that we all need people. And, um, you know, so to encourage the ministry to encourage the long-term care home operators to be creative, um, technology is the safest, the, the safest, most viable avenue we have. Um, so, so when this program is developed, we will need many, many iPads and laptops. We will need, um, we will need the human resources and the technical resources to make this happen. There are over 630 long-term care homes in Ontario. So you multiply this concept by that, that number um, and, and we will need some uh, targeted, organized way of um, collecting and distributing tablets and iPads and phones to make sure that we have the resources available. But exactly. well, we also have to ensure that all long-term care homes have Wi-Fi. Without Wi-Fi, there's no virtual programming at all. That's an excellent point, Sharon. It's speaking, yep. Many, many long-term care homes have Wi-Fi, um, yep. in, in a graduated, um, basis. So there's a, a, a robust sense of Wi-Fi for the, for the, um, team members and for the management, but often very uh, limited Wi-Fi for resident use. So we, we usually not have. Yeah. We, we, we do need to have. Uh, robust access to Wi-Fi. I mean, in, in this day and age, I would venture to say that having access to Wi-Fi is is um, is an essential need. It's, it's an essential service in terms of uh, essential right and a human right, if you will, um, uh-huh. to be connected to the community at large and certainly to friends and loved ones and to residents themselves. OERC is is all about residents' council and ensuring that residents are empowered to be involved in the decisions that are made in their home. So residents' voice has to be heard. And now, in in this new reality, the only way that we can safely accommodate that is through technology. So having a number of of technological devices available in a home with robust access to uh, to Wi-Fi Connecting residents. Imagine Sharon and, and Barry and, and Devora. Imagine if you know on any given day you could be connected virtually with five of your co-residents to have a That's conversation. Right. You're all you're all in different rooms. You're all in you know perhaps on different floors, but you're having a, a group conversation. You're you can start in this small way to start getting your resident council business up and running again. That is what we have to look at is a a foresight to the future. That's right. And what we do with residents across Ontario, we should be able to do within our own home. So those that are dead, we have Lifesight here. I have Lifesight. No, we don't. I'm lucky. Yeah. If it wasn't for my daughter, I wouldn't have it. She pays for it for me. You know, and, and this is so important. There's so many virtual programs out there and learning programs traveling and you know, all kinds of things but they can't
0: see you wow now it's not from what i remember it's not as simple as just necessarily getting everybody the technology but it's also helping people that have experienced a cognitive yeah. decline use yeah. the technology as well um, yeah. is that another yeah. major sort of struggle in, in getting people connected and, and mm-hmm. trying to find this way to communicate
1: right uh, if- it is. It is. And and uh, for, for people who are living with cognitive changes, it can be quite distressing to see a loved one's face on a tiny little phone on a screen that is you know, three inches by four or five inches. What is often most helpful for, for people who are living with a dementia, for example, is to have a larger screen and to pose the interaction as though it's a window and to have a so, so you need a larger screen. You need an uh, an iPad or or a, a laptop would be even better. Uh-huh. And to to um, broach that visit with the the idea that um, their family is, is looking at them through a window. Um, and of course, as I say, it does take human resources to have someone to be able to be side by side in in a safe fashion. Again, a safe fashion yeah. with protective personal equipment so that that interaction can be facilitated. You know, the only thing with the personal equipment is the masks, because you can't sometimes understand what they're saying. You certainly can't see a smile, and I don't know what the answer to that is. No, that's, that's right.
0: Now, it's funny that you mentioned the window situation and being able to pose it as though it were a window visit. Uh, there's been a lot of talk lately about just having families come in and visit by the window and sort of be on the other side, have that sort of interaction, and there's kind of a group on either side. The fence on that decision is that possible as a way to to try to have and facilitate family visits, or is that not? Smart? Well, if the thing is
1: like I'm three floors up, if uh, my family were outside to visit, I could barely get over through the window to see them properly. Uh, they would have to be partly out in the parking lot. And well, that's I a different way of canvassing somebody. It depends where your room is You're You're situated. situated. Yeah. Like I I'm situated in a room that overlooks a courtyard. So there's no way my kids could come near me. In my my own room, which is at the other side of the building, uh, I was right near a part where they could come up and the window and ways to me, but where I am now, there's no way, because this is the interior of the, of the home. The courtyard is like, <laughs> I'm trying to describe it with my hands. It's in the middle of the home, and the courtyard surrounded by rooms, and you have to go through the lobby, and you would have to go through doors and, and Come into the courtyard, so and they won't
0: allow that. Maybe it's not the best solution for everybody in every situation. Then, yeah. Hey? no, oh. yeah, no,
1: it depends on where yeah, the situation. Yeah.
0: So maybe to kind of go back through uh, one last time, what would be the like starting with Sharon? What would be the biggest takeaway that you would want people who are not familiar with the, the situation that's going on in long-term care besides this interview? And to take away and really move with, you know, what's the best information that they could have that you'd like them to know?
1: I think the best information would be to listen to the public health, do your distancing, and don't worry about what you can do. Think of what you can do to help others to get through this and support everybody in getting through it so that it can be, uh, we don't know what's coming ahead of us. In long-term care, we don't know how things are going to be able to be in reaction or what they're supposed to be able to do. Um, But try to ensure that you do the proper things now to hope that we would have a little bit more open life later. Because otherwise, you won't... And even in business and uh, even raising your children, everything is going to change. Even the school... Schools are going to change because it can't go back the way it used to be because it's just not the same anymore.
0: Yeah, I don't think the normal level will ever actually return to what it was. Um, what about yeah. for you, Barry? What would yeah. be the In long
1: term care, yeah. Even a year, a year and a half ago in long term care, we were able to have a bunch of residents together go out for a dinner. Could you imagine that now? They'd be afraid to.
2: Andrew? I think to answer your question, what has been my biggest takeaway from my experience in this home during the epidemic, um, I would have to say that it would be a sense of shame. It is an absolute shame that our society is not even aware of what goes on in nursing homes. They don't know how cordial the staff and residents are. They don't know the trials and tribulations we experience. They don't know the absolute essence of our lives is locked up in a room right now and not allowed to be, to live beyond the walls in the room. It's, it's not wise at all to have to be locked up in the room and not be able to communicate. That's the strategic message that I have. I, I think, um, the shame aspect, in, that society is not aware of what's been happening in our homes. Number two is the communication gaps that, yes, we do need Wi-Fi. We do need a high uh, uh, level of communication develops within our homes and to each other beyond what we're doing right now. And then maybe third, I would have to say I thank God for the staff that works in my home and every other home in the province of Ontario. I say hallelujah and praise God. I thank you're there. I thank you for being on the job.
0: Oh okay. uh, yeah, the front line is really really working. And I, I will admit that before speaking to you guys last week, I hadn't really no good idea of uh, what was happening in long term care myself, and I, no one in my family had uh-huh. really been in it. So this has been very depressing and enlightening for me, and heart wrenching, honestly. Um, what about for you, Devorah, what would, what would be the biggest takeaway you think people listening to this should have about the current situation and, and the difference in the world's going on?
1: Well, Barry said it very specifically, but the one thing I'd like to have people take away is that long-term care needs to change. I know they're talking about making changes and making things better for seniors. But unless they start doing it now, it's going to end up on the back burner again. So this is what I'd like people people to know. Just because we're old doesn't mean to say we don't have feelings and we don't want to do things and we don't want to laugh and dance. Some of us can dance a storm. Just because we're old, we still want to do those things. So I want people to realize, just because we're in long-term care, don't forget about us. Our situation needs to change. It needs to be improved. And unfortunately, it's taken something like this to show it up. So rather than our premier putting it on the back burner and saying, we'll look after it when this is over, it needs to be done now. Because when this is over, there's going to be so many other important things to look after and fix that long-term care will be put on the back burner.
0: Yeah, it does always seem like there's another problem that comes up and, and typically mental health yeah. and, and the health of the people that are most oh, out yeah. of sight get forgotten. Oh, yeah. uh, um, yeah. What about for you, Dee? Yeah. Uh, what would be the biggest takeaway you would suggest that people get from this and, and from any of the interviews that you've been doing?
1: Thank you, Andrew, first of all, for, um, for giving Sharon, Devorah, and Barry the opportunity to speak on this first. Um, they always say, say the, the comments or their, their comments in a much more poignant and expressive way than I ever could. Um, but from an OERC standpoint, I will take away uh, the incredible sense of collaboration that has, has been evident over the last couple of months. Long-term care has been notorious over the years um, for working in silos and having a competitive nature and having egos in the way um, in terms of of um, some of uh, some of the management structures and the operational um, aspects of it. We have come together in a way like none other in terms of collaboration. We, as, as organizations, even in the home level, people are being redeployed and doing jobs and just helping, just stripping away all the egos and just doing whatever we can do to help. And I think that's been a beautiful testament to what living life is all about, caring for one another. And the other part that I will just echo uh, from Devorah's statement is that we had better not. Shame on us if we go back. The way long-term care was the the measure of a society, the the value of a society is measured in terms of how well we care for and provide for our seniors, our elders. And this has shone a huge light on our inadequacies um, as as a nation and as a province. Um, we will be moving towards. Team member reformation, and what I mean by that is CSWs need to be paid well. They need to be paid, they need to be offered full-time positions so that they can work in one site at a time, not have to work at three or four or even five locations to make ends meet. And we must build buildings that are suitable for people to live in in comfortable, and, in comfortable ways. Many of the outbreaks of COVID-19 many of them are due to the fact that the physical buildings are not conducive to infection control where you have multiple people sharing a room with a curtain between them uh, we have to do better by our elders and we have to do better um, in terms of preparation for for another uh, crisis so that we are not left scrambling
0: i think that's definitely the most very powerful takeaway from this thank you all for for joining me and for sharing your perspectives yeah. and the information that you have from your roles, uh, I really appreciate you giving your voice to people that are outside that don't have a chance to hear this otherwise.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Andrew. Well, thank you, Andrew, for having for doing this on our behalf.